Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ron Kramer, and this is episode 120 of Crossover Commerce. This is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and the brightest in the Amazon e-commerce space and much more when they talk about applying to online businesses and running those businesses like we'll be talking about today. Uh, we're going to share our insights on the industry and the most important aspects of making your business grow online. How can the question about today we're going to really dive into is really how can we grow an online brand and attract quality talent? And really, which jobs are job boards are best for which positions? Is there really the right talent out there, or do you need to actually quote unquote headhunt for other from other companies to get that talent? We'll see. We'll find out when we talk with our guest today. I'm going to dive into the cost of hiring with Anna Sherbina of Removate, uh, Remotivate, excuse me, uh, as a guest. Well, as she will explain actually today, hiring the wrong employee can be expensive, and really, which employees at scale you should be looking at when it comes to operations. We're going to dive into all of that today. So I titled the episode, Hiring the Wrong Employee Can Be Expensive. And we'll dive into what that means a little bit here in a, a second or two. But as always, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong transfers over $150 million a day for e-commerce and online businesses just like yours. We have helped over more than 100, 1 million customers to date now worldwide and have uh, trans transfer more than $90 billion to date. That's 90 with the B. That's a big number. So we're helping people save more money when that comes to operations, when it comes to paying their VAs, paying their suppliers, manufacturers, employees, no matter what it is, we're going to be helping in that regards. If you're curious for more, go ahead and check out and click on that link below in the show notes or in the comments section and sign up for an account today. Go ahead and click on that and save it for later, obviously after this episode. So uh, that being said, thank you, Ping Pong, as always. Uh, but about our guest today, if it's about just me, this would be one half, half a good heck of a show, if I could speak today, heck of a show, but it's about my guests and the people who have expertise in their field, and that's Anna. Anna is actually the founder and CEO of Remotivate and remote-focused recruiting agency. She is dedicated to reshaping remote recruitment, helping online businesses build and manage remote teams uniquely and sustainably. Um, her team specializes in hiring specialist managers, developers, and C-level roles, and she is working with many e-commerce brands, maybe like yours. Uh, Remotivate actually handles uh, all due diligence relating to candidate communication, arranging interviews, discussing salary expectations, and conducting reference checks as well. This is done-for-you service in his online businesses with remote teams and uses a customized funnel to fill uh, to filter hundreds of candidates to deliver only the best ones to clients. Anna's very major focus is actually just hiring on remote uh, centric teams, which obviously is a big topic for a lot of bit different companies. But we're going to specifically keep it into e-commerce businesses and what her expertise is and what she's seen over the course of her years of doing this. So, welcome to Crossover Hunters Commerce, Anna. Uh, uh, Sherbina from Remotive. I told you, Anna, I'm, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to second guess myself anytime I see your name. So I apologize for that. Anna Wick, thank you for uh, coming on today. Ryan, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, honestly. And no worries. My last name is, I mean, I'm even considering changing my last name. It's that difficult. Guys, it's it's Sherbina. It's, it's honestly the simplest last name that you can possibly ever say. I look at it and I want to add more consonants and more vowels to it when I see it. Because at speed, you're like, did I miss something? But hey, that's my that's my fault. A lot of people mispronounce my name anyway. So we're, uh, I'm sure you'll get back. Karma's coming for me, I'm sure, at some point or another. But thank you so much for hopping on. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's such a pleasure being here. I'm excited to share a ton of information that might be helpful to your audience. Of course, absolutely. So Anna, we are an international audience. We have people listening all over the world, India, China, uh, Europe, here in the United States, of course. But uh, like you had mentioned, maybe in your, you didn't mention your bio, but uh, I, I know you're not from the United States. You might sound like it. Uh, you've actually had worldly experience and you're located in, oh my gosh, we had this conversation before. I'm going to guess it's going to be it's not Mexico. I want to say it's like, yes, yes, it, oh, is it is Mexico. Mexico. It is right, Mexico. Look at that. Right now I am in Mexico, uh, but I am leaving in like three weeks. 
to go back to Europe, correct? Yes, I'm going back to Europe. I'm missing Europe. It's just, it's been shut down for so many weeks. I feel like it's finally time to explore and get back there. But I've been in Mexico for about a year and a half now. Amazing. But you're, you're originally from Ukraine. You grew up in Ukraine or your family is from Ukraine. Well, maybe tell us a little bit about like your your kind of path to getting to where you are today. Because I think your experience is super fascinating, but your your lens that you look through also provides this light at which maybe we can talk about later today, international talent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're very much on point. So I, I grew, so I actually grew up in the US uh, from like five to 14, I was in the United States, my formative years. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. formative years. But then we moved back to Ukraine. So I kind of spent half my life in the US, half my life in Ukraine, though there's a joke going around about what part of me is really Ukrainian and nobody can seem to tell me. <laughs> it's a, it's kind of a funny joke. But the, the truth is, having to be in a culture, be thrown in a culture, and you know, at five years old, that's being thrown in a culture because you do have certain, um, you know, you, you have to pick up a lot and a new language and all of that. And the same thing happened to me when I was 14, I had to pick up again, kind of a new language. I mean, I knew it, but not well enough. And it did define the way that I had to uh, be flexible, learn about communication. How, how do you, you know, at such a young age, how do you go into a group of like a group of friends or a group of, you know, at school or whatever it may be and really submerge myself and be able to connect and connection is so important to people in general. And as a child, it's like, how do you connect? And through the years, I had to consistently improve on that and understand how do I, yeah, commu the communication, the connection, all of that. And because of that upbringing, because of having to grow up in multiple cultures, I'm also half Russian, half Ukrainian, and that's in a whole other layer as well on top of that. But it really did change the way that my life started going in terms of my career and the, and the career mm -hmm. that I've chosen. So recruitment is so close to me because I got to send people from Eastern Europe, Asia. I mean, that's where I kind of started, uh, Central Asia and Eastern Europe to all over the world. And the reason I was able to do it quite well from the very beginning and why I, I, you know, I started moving up the ranks in the company that I was working for was because I was able to really kind of connect on any level at any culture, what, wherever a person was from because of my past, because of where, I, because of what I had to do. Uh, I just never thought as a kid that, oh, this is going to be a, a career thing. And right now, a lot of companies, they do struggle with that hiring from different countries and cultures. It's like, well, how do I understand a person from a country or culture that's not my own? And because of the way that I was raised, it's influenced a lot of the positive, you know, ways I communicate with people from all over the world. And I'm able to find those touch points and I'm, I'm able to really bring out the best in people, no matter where they're from. Uh, that includes my team. That includes people when we're hiring, that includes uh, our clients, no matter where they're from as well, because of my background. And I think you bring up a lot of good points there of, especially in the industry that our company and you, I know you help, uh, hire on employees in is in the e-commerce world. It's not just a one lens that you have to look through. You have to look at through many facets and we call that localization, right? We have to look at people's culture. We have to look at their, uh, how they're grown up, the religious aspects there. There's so many different male, you can go be as basic as male, female, but you can go as deep as the culture, how they grew up in and what is, what speaks to them and then what can offend them. So I think that would be a very beneficial thing to have in your back pocket as I, I don't want to talk to them this way because it might be offensive or, Hey, company XYZ, this is what you actually need to look for because if you're trying to hire from this portion of the world or represent from this, you know, segment of the, of the world, you need to be very poignant on what you're asking because you don't want to either put a bad taste in your mouth, but you want to attract, and know that people are on, they're coming from a great point of view. So that makes yeah, sense. Ab yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of the times what ends up happening is uh, employers will look through their own lens and judge someone or a team member if they're not performing well, because they're, they're looking through their own lens. How would they have done it? Right. But if you're looking through your own culture, your own culture, country, culture, language, then a lot of the times you think someone's failing or letting you down. But the thing that I have learned that has really helped is never judge based on your own experiences, always really listen. And I think that has really changed the game for me is watching and listening to someone's behavior, what they're telling you, how they're expressing themselves. And this actually works great in interviews as well. It's literally watching 
how they're reacting to different questions, not just what they're saying, but how are they reacting? And so when we take away our own filter and we're just listening and really watching a person for like what they are, what they're sharing, what they're trying to communicate, it changes the game so much. And then all of a sudden you can actually take out and realize, oh, this person's going through this. How do I support them that they can really shine and take off in the team, for example? But a lot of employers struggle with that when hiring internationally. Right. A lot of people would say it's a it's just an old person's mentality or just someone who doesn't like associate with where people are at nowadays mentally or uh, just accepting in that regards. Yeah. I think it's very much of that. So I guess in that regards, how did you come into the world of HR? I feel like almost nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 people are like, no, I didn't actually think I wanted to go in the world of human resources or hiring or kind of developing my own company to even help with that. What was kind of that journey for you, if you will? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're on point. Most people don't say, hey, I want to grow up being a recruiter. <laughs> That sounds like a fantastic idea. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're the firemen, policemen. Uh, no, I think it, the reason I kind of came into this is uh, I was actually studying music. My background's in music, which is very, uh, you know, nobody re realizes this, obviously. It's a very strange In performance or in, uh, is it performance music? Uh, no, no, no. It was uh, opera and jazz vocals. Really? So singer. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yes. My wife is a music okay. therapist, which is why I ask. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. But yeah, I, that's kind of my background. And at some point I got invited to um, just help this company out. They just heard my English and they're like, hey, do you want to work with us? And it was awesome because they actually had me involved in talking to all these international sponsors and clients. Uh, they sent people from Eastern Europe and Central Asia to different exchange programs. So you must be familiar with like uh, work and travel, au pair, work in China, or, like teach English in yep. China, hospitality in Australia. And so I got the opportunity of really growing in that company and developing new programs such as work in the Emirates. Um, we got to do different job job fairs. So I actually got to do international and remote recruitment way before it was even a thing. And I even made a joke about this recently. I realized I actually never hired for an in-office position. Like I never had anyone come in and be like, okay, do you think you're going to be a good fit for our team? Like I never had that. I was always hiring for other people. I was always hiring remotely. Uh, I was always hiring internationally. And this was, I mean, 2012, I mean, right. This was many years ago where this was you're happening. So, you were so ahead of the game. I mean, I didn't know that I was ahead of the game. This was just something that was normal and for these kind of programs, how they were, were working out. So that's how it all started. And I worked for that company for five years. Um, I helped them grow quite a bit. We developed a lot of programs, did dozens and dozens of job fairs. And then I moved into the online space and that's where things really came together because I got to see, and also my background's operations and recruitment, and that was always side by side. So I started working with a lot of online business owners and so it was really cool being able to take this background I've had in international recruitment, international communication, understanding and connecting with people of all countries and cultures, and then bringing that into the online space and learning, of course, kind of new ways of recruitment, but still having a lot of the mentality of, okay, how do I want to do things differently? And that's a lot of the foundation that got me to, or that's the foundation that really built, built into uh, Remotivate because all the things that I learned from being in kind of like old school recruitment, even though it was remote and international, still was very old school. And growing up in that, I was like, okay, what would I do differently? What was it something that I really didn't connect with and I wanna do better? And so a lot of those things that I learned, and then obviously the things that I learned from uh, hiring for online business owners really translated into building the business and why it came to be. That's amazing. So you actually had a similar connection to one of our past guests, Nate Ginsburg. Uh, you worked with him or you were, you were an employee of his or an yeah, I worked, I worked for him. He was actually the first, uh, he was actually the reason I got into the online space. Mm -hmm. uh, he invited me through Upwork for a job. It was just like some random job. And then all of a sudden we got to talking, he was in Kiev and he was like, well, what if we work together? And I'm like, okay. Uh, he's like, I have a ton of projects and jobs that I'd love your
your help with. And then it, it just, the kind of ball started rolling and it was amazing. Uh, I got to see a lot of his, the way that he does recruitment, which is incredible. Like the way that he uh, really connects and perceives people. He has an incredible gut for recruitment. So I got to learn a ton from him as well. And being able to take the things I learned from him and then future uh, jobs, as well as my entire background in kind of a different, in a different space and being able to take all of that into remote it. But he was a huge catalyst in, in how I got into the online space and all of the, the new perspectives and, and a lot of the things that I got to learn about online business, it came from Nate, which is an incredible experience because now he was on recently. I'm, I'm also on and talking about all this. So it, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing where we've gotten to. Right. Nate's, Nate's chilling in uh, a villa, probably in Bali still or somewhere <laughs> Thailand, like that. Thailand, Thailand. See, right now, yeah. see, everyone moves around on me. They, no one, people just need to sit in the same spot so I can just pinpoint where they're going to stay for the rest of my my existence of doing this show so it's yeah, always hard it's to tough. pinpoint well people well okay so maybe that's a natural segue right people around the world there's too many places for one person to even think about this person's here this person's there yeah. from a from a recruitment perspective i'm an employer and we talked about this a little bit yesterday on one uh, episode 119 uh his name is yoni kamiski he actually works uh for multiply me uh his his company's multiply me we talked about a lot of talent out there, you know, it could be in competing businesses and there's an aspect that you might have to recruit away from a business, both the positive and negatives of that, as you, as you might know, but your aspect, if I, if I remember correctly, you, you preach that there's, there's an abundance of talent out there. You just need to know where to look for that. So maybe we can dive into that recruitment or headhunting versus looking for talent and knowing where to find it out there. And maybe it's not with your competitor. Where, where do we go from there? Yeah, it's such a great question because I think headhunting is very, like it, it has its place, but I think the world has shifted so much in the, in the sense that now there are so many more job opportunities, whereas there are more and more, more and more people going into the online space. And so headhunting, I've seen it, I've done it. And I just don't approve. Again, it's because a lot of the times I've tried different different aspects of recruitment and I saw what works and what it didn't and why. And the reason why I say this, and I'll go into this a little bit, is headhunting right now anyways, it takes a lot of time. You're sitting on LinkedIn, you're going after people who might not even be looking for a job and you're trying to get them out of their job, which again, old school makes sense. I, I get where it was. It was coming from this, you know, scarcity mindset. There's not enough people. So we need to kind of get them out of those jobs. But right now in this market, there are so many incredibly talented and available people, especially now, uh, post COVID, there's so many job people going remote and they want a job. And so the way that we go about it is slightly different. And I just saw way more results. My entire team have seen so many more results is sourcing by inviting candidates from platforms that are actually designed for like for jobs, right? So job boards rather than LinkedIn. And I think what people don't realize is LinkedIn isn't a job board per se. It's a social, it's a professional social network. Okay. And, and I get that people look for candidates there and people mention that they're hiring or the candidates are looking for jobs, but ultimately it's not designed for, it's not a job board, that is not its ultimate goal. So people aren't just there looking for a job. Some people are, but it's not the ultimate goal. It's kind of like looking at for people to hire on Facebook. Yeah, you can, but what's going to be the result, right? And so what we do is we actually go after the job boards that have open, uh, you can actually open, you have access to the candidates and we're inviting candidates that are on those platforms that are available because they're on those platforms. So they're looking or, or maybe they do have another job, but they are telling you, hey, we're on this platform. We are looking for other opportunities or we're open to other opportunities. And by going out and inviting candidates manually, which is a little bit of a hassle up front, we found that the people that are applying are not just people that are, you know, and I, I'm not sure how to put this, but a lot of the times people that are applying on their own, usually they're, I don't like the word desperate, but it means that they're just hungry for whatever opportunity they can get their hands on rather than being the right fit. So a lot of the times when uh, clients come our way, they say, well, we've got a hundred candidates apply, but they have no qualifications for this position. We have no idea why they've applied. 
I know exactly why they're applying because they want a job and they're applying for every opportunity out there. But the people who are qualified, who are going to be actually a good fit, they're probably busy. They're probably developing their skills. They're probably working at a job. Yes, they're open for opportunities. They want an opportunity, but they're probably not sitting there hours on a day applying to every single job, on every single job board. It probably isn't happening. And so we've just, we've, we truly believe and we've tested that there is an abundance of amazing candidates if you're looking at the right place and you're investing upfront and inviting these candidates instead of trying to kind of post and hope for the best that these candidates right. will apply or running an ad even on Facebook, which to me is just, I still don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't approve of uh, maybe for bigger companies, but for smaller businesses, I'm just like, please don't, <laughs> please don't waste right. your money. <laughs> well, see this, this sounds different than the whole passive versus active recruitment. This seems like a third leg, if you will, of you're actively invite, you're inviting people, but you're trying to build this network of individuals who might, who might be in a position for a job. Like we, I thought there was a good point yesterday in what we were talking about of, yeah, there, there's talent and people, if they have a job, right, they're not going to be actively looking or applying. It might be passively, or if there's just a good opportunity, I'm for myself coming into this position, I was quote unquote recruited. It wasn't something I was actively looking for, but it was an opportunity that someone said, I know you're familiar with this opportunity. This is what we have defined as what we want this role to be. I think you might be a good fit for what this definition is, maybe even more. Would you be interested? And it's almost like a, a passive acting active kind of mentality. And that's kind okay. of what it, it that's kind of what this reminds me of. Is that am I on base or am I low off? No, I think you're uh, you're definitely on base. I'd say that the difference between headhunting and kind of doing what I mentioned is, yes, it's similar that some people might still have a job, but the difference is with LinkedIn, you're there trying to convince them. Whereas gotcha. when they're on a job board, you know, they, yes, they might be passive, but they put their application on there. So it's a different mindset. You're inviting them, but you're not trying to, you're trying to sell them the job post itself is selling them. The information is selling them, but it's not you trying to sell them and trying to, let me tell you about all these amazing opportunities, why you should come work for this company. We're not doing that. We're inviting a lot of people and we're looking for hungry, motivated people. So actually when we get to the interview phase, I asked something along the lines of, well, why are you, you know, why did you decide to apply? They're like, well, we're invited. We've, we were invited. And some people do say that, but to me, I, I mean, I do a follow-up question. I say, okay, you were invited, but you probably were invited by other people as well. Why this company? I want right. to see that they're hungry and interested in this position because if they're just there because they were invited, which a lot of that, that's what head hunting is about, right? You've convinced mm -hmm. them to talk to you. Then who has the upper hand? The, the candidate has the upper hand. And so but, but how is that going to do well for longevity, right? And we're looking for long-term staff. So if a person's like, yeah, convince me that I should work for you, you know, the, that attitude, will it last long-term or will that person then just be recruited for another position somewhere else because somebody else convinced them? Whereas if the candidates that are going to be applying, even if they were invited to the job boards, if they're applying and they're like, yeah, well, I checked out the website. I really connect. Here's why I connect. I'm so excited. I feel like this is exactly long-term what I was looking for. And I think based on the job, the, the job description, the opportunities here, like this is what I want. And you can see their passion and you can see that they want to be there. And that's a huge difference from, yeah, like you invited me, tell me about, tell me about your opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can, I can see the connection you can have between employer and company or employer and, you know, mission, if you will, like mission goes beyond just what you do day to day. It's what are you trying to achieve with your life? And if people buy into that, I feel like you would have more of a sustainable organization and more of a long-term effect with employees that you bring on board. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of people like feeling wanted. I think that's kind of the allure of headhunting is, oh, yeah. lots of people want me. Maybe I can Maybe I can get more money or I can get more perks or I can get a better title or I can travel more, more vacation. There's a lot of things that you can get. Like, what do you... At, from feeling wanted with that being Absolutely. said what what are the pros to going about this this way Anna? if you think that 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 role is hey tell me about this and headhunting might just give them the power what's the pros from this other kind of mentality or recruitment style if you will 
Yeah, I, I guess what I, I want to point out is that if if this person has been headhunted and they it, successfully, let's say you hired them and bring them on, what's to say they won't be do that again, right? Right. And it comes it's, down it's to true. really that is is what you want to understand. It's like we're looking at how do we bring on people for the long term. And if somebody is, is there because they were headhunted by great opportunities, again, in the past, that's great and that works. And people are constantly headhunted from company to company. But if you're a small to medium business and you want to have, you don't have a lot of resources and time to spend on constantly bringing on new people, training them up, and like redoing that again and again. As a bigger company, that's fine. You lose people, you get people, you know, you have processes in place, it's fine. You have the resources. But as a smaller medium business, if you finally get someone you headhunted, you convince them to come, let's say you, you put in six months of your time and then they just get headhunted by a bigger company. Well, you just lost some, you lost a lot. That loss is a lot bigger for smaller to medium businesses because all of a sudden they have to go back and spend again, maybe hundreds of hours, all that money again on getting someone. And that can be really, really, really hurtful for that business. Whereas, right. you know, we're looking at for that size of a company, when you're hiring the way that I've described and it coming from a place of finding someone who is just, just as qualified, but also really interested and passionate, and, and their background is they've worked for other companies for multiple years. They're not just, you know, jumping from being headhunted to headhunted. That person, you know, you can invest the time in and they will stick around. Not forever. I mean, that's, you know, but they'll be there at least for a year, two, three. And you know that you can invest the time. And you're not going to just lose someone and be left, you know, hanging. Right. So in your mind, what's a what's a good investment of an employee sticking around? Because th this is why I asked this question. A lot of now people are not lifers anymore. They're no longer, I'm going to stick with my company for 45 yeah. years, get my pension, get it, get my check when I retire, when I can no longer move my body. That's not the case anymore. And a lot of people, especially in e-commerce, we are a lot of project focus. I want to achieve multiple things. Once I achieve it, either sell our asset, which is our business or e-commerce business, move on and do another passion project. But I also think that the service industry, which is people helping have software solutions, whatever that might be, they also might want to do, hey, I want to build a certain software that can build this, but I also want to do something in a very similar light and kind of like jump, a lot of people jump around a lot. So with that being said, sure. what it, what is an achievable metric that if I'm a entrepreneur out there and I want to hire people, what should be a goal if I'm hiring an operations manager? What would be a good you know, this is how long I want to get someone on board for, and I that'd think, be a win. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of time, how long you can expect for them to be around, realistically, you want them to stick around for at least a year. Like that is ultimately what you want. That's to the for. ultimate threshold. Like, <laughs> once we hit a year, we've done it. Like we did a good job. I think so because six months, you know, they're still learning. Like they're still like getting incorporated in the business and the team. So the first couple of months, you know, they're going through training, they're figuring, you know, who you are, what you want to do in the business and all of that. Once you hit a year, you know, you've gone through that. You've already seen their progress. They have grown, you have grown, you've built a relationship. And at that point, you know, if they do decide that it's time to move on, which, you know, it happens, they're not going to leave you stranded because you, they've, you've built a relationship with that person and you know that they will make sure to build all the processes and systems. And when they do leave, they'll, you know, help you hire, they'll make sure everything's passed on correctly. But usually it takes about a year to get there. Uh, and then sometimes once you hit that year, you know, it's going great. The business is growing, the manager is growing and they'll, they'll continue working with you for, you know, two, three years and et cetera. So I'd say the year is probably, like a good a good thing to go for at least right what's the uh what would be the negative in terms of you said it's costly to continue hiring on is it mainly just the time aspect because money money's money it's going to be in that position it's earmarked for that person no matter what so is the biggest loss in this regards if someone doesn't stick around a year is it the time aspect I definitely think it's the time aspect, but it's not just the time aspect, you know, of hiring. It's also like you've put in the hours of training that person you've put in the like, and you want to make sure that you're getting your money's worth and your time's worth for investing in a person, you know? And so I'd say definitely, yeah, that time piece is probably the biggest loss for a lot of businesses because money you can always get back. 
time, not so much. <laughs> you can never get back the time that you spent training somebody, putting in and, and growing them and building the relationship, right? Because training, you know, that's, that's fine. But building a relationship with someone where they truly understand what you want, the growth that you want them to be a part of, all of that, you can't really get that back. Right. And that's what we talk about in our companies too. The relationships that you build in the sweat equity, or you call it time equity that you put into relationships with the supplier or just other partnerships that, that actually means a lot too, because no matter if it bears fruit now or later, if you go to negotiate or you're finding something beneficial, that person's more willing to bend over backwards for you or to come to the table instead of somebody that says, I need this, give it to me. And I went at this cost. So a lot of exactly. the things that where we see relationships built is obviously you have to put in the time equity, but then also like regular equity as well. So that being said, kind of shifting over to jobs that you're seeing in our industry, in our industry, there's so many different unique ones that always pop up everywhere, right? PPC manager, lots of people trying to understand and learn what is it that someone can be successful at running costs. We're doing sourcing logistics. That is a whole nother scary, insightful, very there. It's so, I want to say sticky in terms of the, how many different processes you have to learn in order to become a good operations manager. That being said, what, what's, what are those jobs that you're looking at that e-commerce companies are putting the most time, money and effort into? So I think the number one type of position, and, and again, there's so many roles, right? There, there's so many right. positions in e-commerce. We can go on and on about it. But for the sake of this conversation, I think it's important to touch base on the one that I think is the most important, which is the operations role. And there's different really? layers okay. and there's different levels. But I think that's the position that once the company, and some companies are very aware of that need. And when they get it, it's transformational. I've seen this in e-commerce businesses happen over and over as we've hired for them but some companies are not aware of that need. They think that they need someone to do the processes and they, they see the different responsibilities and tasks, but they haven't named it an operations manager, right? They called it a VA, a PM, anything, but they haven't called it an operations. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. Somebody who will come in and really help you and again, there are different levels to it of responsibility, level of responsibility, level of experience um, based on your team size, your budget and the level of independence that this person will have. But at the end of the day, they will be one way or another connected to your operations and helping the business run smoothly, making sure your team is being utilized properly, making sure uh, customer support is being taken care of and that like the different aspects of the business are being run properly. So I'd say operations is probably the, if, if not the most important piece that needs to come in for a business to really take off uh, and grow quite like fast after that. Well, you just named a lot of different moving parts and under that one role. Is that a role yeah. that, because it's so important that a lot of people are just either tentative or it's expensive or not a lot of people have that experience to effectively manage a team at scale or just do it all themselves? Is that, what? what's the number one thing that you need in an operations manager, I guess is what I'm asking. That's such a great question because I think with an operations manager, it isn't just one thing. Like I know that's not the answer you were looking for, but it's just not one thing. There are many, many different aspects to an operations manager and it comes down to figuring out what are your needs, right? So are you looking to have somebody help with the finance, with the HR, with the delivery, with the customer support? And that's what it really comes down to figuring out what is that person going to be helping you with? At the end of the day, it's processes. Like I know that's very generalistic, but it does come down to that. Operation managers help with improving processes, setting, creating, uh, managing and executing on the different processes. The question is, what are the processes that are needed to be managed or, or created in your business? So that's what it really comes, comes down to. Very cool. Well, I mean, in that regards, I think it's, you want to make sure you're, you're the cogs in the wheel, right? You're making sure everything is connected and you want to make sure that you know, goods are getting out the door. I'm ordering in time. I'm making sure you said customer service, which is a whole nother ball game, making sure people are happy. Exactly. If something is wrong on your end, uh, there's, there's a lot on that plate. What would be one characteristic? And I asked this question yesterday too, when we were talking about hiring for roles, what's one characteristic that you think employers put in their job descriptions that you find either unnecessary or just, un, you know, just not needed anymore, whether it's 
the amount of time that they are in that they have experience in or just looking for a certain characteristic in a role? I would say, so two things here. I'd say the thing that is probably not needed that some companies still do, and they're moving away from it, but there, it still comes up is bachelor's degree in business or MBA. And Perfect. that really is it. Like you don't need a degree to be successful. You need skill, you need experience, you need uh, like being a good problem solver. And that's actually something I wanted to mention that is a really important thing to add to your job description and test for. Something that connects all operation managers, and that's kind of coming back to this as well, is they are problem solvers. There's different areas that they're problem solving. But at the end of the day, these are people you're bringing on to help you solve problems in your business. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it really is that. As a business owner, you, your goal, and it should be anyways, is to be growing your business. But there's right. so many things happening on your back end that need problem solving. And so you're just ripped apart into different areas and you're spread thin. But when you get an operations manager, the, they are problem solvers. They're not just people you're going to give tasks to do. You're going to tell them, hey, we have a customer support problem or customer service problem. People are not happy or our team is really struggling and overworking. What do we do about this? Are they being overutilized? Do we need to hire? You're giving them at, like actual problems to solve. And from their experience in the industry, from their experience in recruitment or marketing, whatever it, it may be in the different areas, they are there to help you solve problems on de like delivery and your back end, the day-to-day -day back end. And that is ultimately what an operations manager does. Solve the problems of the business. <laughs> right. Professional puzzler, if you will, of there you, you go. That thousand-piece puzzle and you can put it together. But unfortunately, the puzzle pieces are all white. It's the impossible puzzle that I see out there all the time. People are just constantly like, all right, it's going to take some time, but we have to put it together quickly. Is that another thing that maybe people overlook is the speed at which you can overcome a problem as well? Is that is that important or is it just the aspect of I can think through it? I might have to go my own route because a lot of people are think different thinkers. Does that make sense? I might get there at the end, but is speed an actual component of this as well? I think business owners generally think things move a lot faster than they do. And I talk about this from my own personal experience as a business owner. I I'm can speak like, about it right now too. Right? <laughs> People are like, fix this problem and let's get $3 million out of XYZ and let's do it tomorrow. And I'm like, um, what are we talking? Uh, are, you, are you sure? Like, I don't think that's possible. Yeah. Or like, let, let's talk. Yeah. yeah setting ex oh, so I guess like setting expectations. How does one come in and say, you know, I'm a good fit for this role, but I need to set expectations from the get-go. Is that an important aspect for a good working relationship for project managers and uh, like entrepreneur or CEO or whatever that title might be? Absolutely. The expectations that you set from the very beginning will define the trajectory of the relationship. That is just hands down going to be so important. And when it comes to onboarding for any position, not only operations or PM or PPC manager, when somebody comes on board, and I always say this, and for some reason, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with this is have certain KPIs, have certain points of, hey, this is what success looks like. Because a lot of the times people are like, okay, well, if they work 40 hours, that means nothing. If they are not getting the job done, how many hours they work means absolutely yeah. nothing. And so it always comes down to figure out what success looks like for that position for the first week, for the first month, for the quarter, whatever it may be, and make sure the candidate knows what that success looks like and be as specific as possible. And then you know, you can clearly define if someone's gonna be successful or not. Now, I do wanna add here, setting expectations and that time piece that you mentioned. A lot of times entrepreneurs get, or business owners give a certain expectation that it is probably unrealistic. It happens a lot, right? We want this done in a week. I think it's 99% of the time it's unrealistic. It does. It does. And a good project manager, a good operations manager, like a good one will tell you no. <laughs> Not after the week that they're supposed to get it done. They will upfront know that, hey, this is not realistic. And a good operations manager, head of ops, CEO, will challenge the business owner, will challenge the CEO and say, look, 
this does not seem realistic based on all my experiences. Let's talk about what is realistic based on what you want to get done and having those conversations. And that is what really an awesome operations or head of ops does. They bring that balance to the business where entrepreneurs are always setting crazy timelines and expectations that are never delivered on. And then they get frustrated why it's not happening, but because they don't have anyone to say, that's not realistic. <laughs> right. I, I, and I think that's super important too, because it's a communication style that you need to set from the beginning. You don't want to be a month in and say, Oh, actually that's not a possibility. I need at least like three more weeks or six more weeks or something like that. You've peeved off your employer. You don't feel like you have lived up to expectations or you knew from the beginning and you didn't just didn't figure it out. I think that's why my favorite question to ask to potential employers or employees is what do you want to achieve in the first you know, week, three three weeks, uh, you know, three months, six months, year, what, what does that look like? Because from my perspective, if I'm an employee going or potential employee going to this circumstance, this is what I think. If they can't forecast what they want this role to achieve in the first year or a couple months, they don't know what this role is going to want to do. They're, they have no clue of what is going to be defined by this role. And I think that's a red flag for me as an employee, potential employee with this company is they can't forecast what they want to achieve in the upcoming year, whether it's KPIs, goals, you know, achievables, or, hey, this would be nice if we could do this. Even that is a good indicator of what they're trying to move towards. That's really hard to attract good talent, I would think. Instead of someone being there, they're like, okay, sounds good. Like, I'll cash my checks and show up every day and just put in, like, time punch, essentially. That's, I don't think that's what a lot of people want to do. No matter what time it takes, they want to know that they're going towards an ultimate goal. So mm -hmm. that being said, yeah, that being said, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Or that was more of a thought just, question. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's a good point. You mentioned it from the employee side. But I think the, the from an employee side, a lot of the times people don't really think that through. Like a lot of people who are starting out or just a few years in the, you know, in their industry, they're not really thinking about asking those questions from their employer. So I think, you know, that you brought that up. It's something employees should do. But I think the problem actually comes up way more on the employer side because they hire someone with certain expectations that they don't communicate and they don't discuss or agree upon. And then three to six months in, something that I hear is, well, we hired this person and they're not doing well, but we're not really sure why. <laughs> like, and they kind of, they, that's, they don't really, they want to let them go, but they don't really know how like how to communicate that or why that happened but it's because of those you know lack in those expectations or what success looks like because they see the candidate more as putting out a fire like the mentality as an employer is i'm hiring for them to do a certain task or put out a fire it's not i'm hiring this person because i want this to be successful and the, he's here are the metrics most employers don't think of it from that mindset they're thinking of what fire do i need to put out what task do i need to get completed well see and that's a reactionary mentality that's something that a lot of people struggle with and i i personally have gone through many reactionary managers uh employers where they're like hey this effectively like we lost a bunch of subscriptions get it back or how to, instead of how do we effectively keep those people on longer or how do we make it more valuable in this aspect? Reactionary management, in my opinion, is the quickest way to lose your either title or your trust from employees or your board or whatever that might look like. And you know, not calling out anyone specifically, but just as the, all the different industries I've been in, if you're reactionary to some sort of pandemic, for example, people, if you have to react to that way, then you might be three, six months down the road before you've problem solved. But if you've been forecasting say, worst case scenario, if I'm selling on Amazon and I am just selling on Amazon, what if all of a sudden Amazon just shuts down, which actually happened for a lot of sellers? Where, how am I going to be sustainable? Worst case scenario, if like my ship comes into port and I can't get it in the actual three months and maybe it's sitting there for four months or, you know, like there's time periods where you say, what if, and you're planning for the worst case scenario, but be pleasantly surprised by the best case scenario and kind of operate under that guys. I think that's where you see the best managers and employee employers versus the people who just stay stagnant 
or they just stretch it out as long as they can and say, you know what, I, I didn't actually achieve everything I could have. Absolutely. And I think something important to note here as well is that when you go, when you work with startups, they can't really think long-term a lot of the time. Right. You have, a, you have what's called a runway. You know, you actually know how long you can operate for until yeah. you run out of money. That is an actual beautiful thing to an aspect or to a component of this is what we have to do in this component of time. These are our goals and metrics. Otherwise we won't be here anymore. Like, Exactly. That's kind of a beautiful thing in my mind, but it's also a very scary thing for a lot of people. So sorry to interject there. No, 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 absolutely. But you make a good point. But I just also want to uh, mention like there are startups that or, or smaller businesses that actually just don't know they don't like, let's say they didn't receive like a chunk of money. They're just running on their profit. They don't have that long-term view. They don't know what's going to happen in, you know, in a year. They, right. but in those situations, because that's what they say, they're like, Anna, well, how can I set expectations for a year forward or six months forward? I don't know what's happening tomorrow, but you still can plan for a month, right? You still can take a chunk of time and plan for that and then communicate success to your team members according to the time frame that you you can you know uh, look into right so let's say maybe things will change every month because the profit might change every month or you know your revenue is different and you have to adjust based on what's happening in the business and be more reactive like it, it does make sense but you still have a month you know or a quarter you can still plan uh, and so in those situations for those smaller businesses I say we'll take whatever time period that you can plan for and communicate that to your team, you know, have a team call every month if you need to, and make sure you checking in what success looks like, what are the goals you're trying to achieve, and then who is actually succeeding in those goals, and who's failing and making sure to communicate that on a regular basis, not like a year in and you're like, Yeah, Peter, you've been uh, not doing so well all year. <laughs> like, it needs to be consistent. Well, and that's the thing too, is everyone, if you're if I'm an entrepreneur listening to this and I'm sitting there with the team of like three and I really want to scale my business here in the end of 2021, early 2022, I'm going to start planning right now. I need to be forthcoming with my expectations from the get-go. And I think that's where a lot of small and medium-sized entrepreneurs in this space struggle with is being honest with people when they want to hire them on, whether it's an operations manager or, you know, someone's running marketing. Hey, I'm a three person, we're a three person team. This is our expectation. This is our goals set forth. We're in, we're trying to grow in at least one or two more avenues, if you will, or marketplaces. That's our expectation. And as we grow, we can add more help to these roles, but we need you to know from the very beginning, that's not going to happen right away. And so that, that sets your, you as an employer, on record to say like, listen, I'm telling you up front, this is going to suck maybe for you. But if you're really willing to go down the road, it's going to grow quickly and you will get to see those achievables later down the road and those, and those goals and all those things that you want to achieve. If you want to grow something with me, this is the opportunity, but from the get-go, this is what you can expect. So even in setting precedent from the get-go like that and just have a candid conversation, you can't be mad with somebody if they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, because down the road, they're like, I didn't think that this was going to be the case for this long. Well, I told you <laughs> before you accepted exactly. the job. And so I think setting those expectations is number one key component. Um, I want to pivot a little bit with you, Anna. Um, just kind of curious too. A lot of times I hear about employees hiring VAs, which are virtual assistants, over maybe full-time employee. Full-time employee may come with benefits, costs, 401ks, more, you know, just a little bit more cost costly than a virtual assistant might. What's your take on hiring a virtual assistant and need and using them for for simple for tasks versus hiring someone full time that's dedicated to the company that you might have to invest a little bit more into? I would say you can actually do both. <laughs> All right. I mean, and here's what I what I mean. When you're hiring internationally, what a lot of online businesses are doing is they're bringing those people on on a contract basis. So they're contractors on paper, but they're treated as employees. And that's really what it comes down to bringing on people, you know, and that will help with the budget, right? If you don't, if you're a small business, you don't have a big budget, so you can build out an entire team 
on a contractor basis. So it's not like registered employees, they're like they're contractors uh, and the salaries might be different based on the countries where they're from, but they're treated like a team and they're grown like a team and they're, you're investing them in like a team. And that really makes the difference. So it's not one or the other, you can actually combine it. And the second thing you mentioned about VAs, well, it's awesome if you need people who actually just, you're giving certain tasks and you're saving time and you're just, they need to deliver, right? They need to help you save your time by doing certain admin tasks. Amazing, but you can bring that person on full time on a contractor basis. So I'd say com combine those two things. Combine the two mentality. Well, that's good. That's a good idea. So when, I, when I'm looking for these, uh, we didn't talk about where you're searching for talent, really. It's not on LinkedIn, obviously. Is it more, where, where are the best places to find talent that would fit these roles? Because you have the, first and foremost, you need to have a clear picture of what you want. You can't just throw a title out there. We all know that people search for different roles differently than another person down the road operations manager or operate a uh, COO, or, you know, we, we talked about one role could be all those different titles. Where do you find talent? Where's the best place to look as an employer? And then on, as an employee, where's the best place to put yourself out there? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a few places that personally we've done and we, we work in that have been great for finding awesome long-term candidates. Uh, we love Indeed, especially if we're hiring from North America for remote staff. It's actually grown quite a bit. Uh, we love okay. AngelList. They're a bit smaller, but the quality of candidates is great. And I think candidates are pretty happy with the transparency of employers on there as well. So AngelList is awesome for all kinds of positions. Surprisingly, it's not just like, you know, what it used to be. The mentality used to be, oh, there's just startups on there uh, looking for, you know, people that are just going to go for the equity. And that's, it's really shifted. There's a lot of online businesses looking for remote staff. So I'd say AngelList has been amazing. And one that's going to surprise most people, and, and it does continue surprising most people is Upwork. Uh, Upwork is generally considered to be very short term project based, but a lot of the times when people are new to the platform, they haven't really made it yet and they're looking for some consistent income. And so if you go after those candidates that have an entire background, but they're looking for something stable and they haven't really made the in the platform, you're able to hire for long-term staff. So it's, it's quite amazing in terms of using Upwork in that way as well. So Indeed, Angelus and Upwork are the biggest ones for us. Personally, there are small, some few smaller ones, uh, things like Dynamite Jobs, Job Rack is for Europe. Um, yeah, those are a few of the smaller ones that also, you know, you can utilize, but the bigger ones have done wonders for us personally when it comes to hiring remote staff. What would be a tip as an employee if you're trying to get with a specific company or industry or work for an individual do you engage with them right away or go on to like a platform like a LinkedIn, listen to them, uh, interact with their uh, content? What are the best ways to kind of stand out amongst other talent out there? Because everyone, you know, it is a competitive market. A lot of people are hiring right now, which is fantastic. But how do you stand out if you're going into a competitive landscape like e-commerce and you want to work for the best of the best, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. I have a friend who's actually a remote job coach and has an entire course on this, which is really interesting. But his whole uh, kind of philosophy is building relationships. And so, for example, if you have a friend on LinkedIn who has a friend who knows someone who works at that company, you know, you can get the introductions to get sure. to that person. And having an introduction is a lot warmer than just sending out your you know, application. And even for, for me, I've had some times and I don't I don't encourage this, but some of the people that have reached out to me and I see that they're actually a quality candidate for a position that, and they didn't go through a process, but I saw that they really, really stand out. I was like, oh, wow, they've reached out. Uh, I really appreciate this. Like they've explained why they're a good fit. It's not just an application. So I have considered some people that way, rarely, and I don't encourage this, as I said, but the thing is that it's a warm lead when somebody's like introduced or I get right. some sort of introduction or recommendation. So that's one piece. Another thing that has actually worked for some of my friends and it's been extraordinary to get into getting into like really tough companies that don't really uh, take a lot of chances or there are very few open positions or there are too many applicants. They run Facebook ads to the staff members of that company. That. I think that's brilliant. I think I've seen so people brilliant. run PPC ads on Google if they try to search for somebody too, or if they're searching for the that's company so that they will say, hi, hire me. And they've been successfully hired because of that. It, again, Absolutely. it takes a technical minded 
if you this is this is what I've found for a lot of different unique ways to stand out. Me personally hiring people, but then also uh, watching other people get hired for specific roles. You need to find a way to stand out, but also do it in a tasteful way that showcases your abilities and talents. So if you are if you are an artist or a graphic artist or you know someone of design capability, have a portfolio ready that you can point people into the right direction. Um, or just showcase your talent. If, if I'm a podcast host and I want to talk to somebody about content management or anything like that, I'm going to have a series of like playlists. I'm going to say, check it out. I have 300 episodes of me talking. Go for it. Um, here's my highlight reel or whatever that might be. Or if you're an operations manager, show the numbers of like grew from this to X to Y. But if you're someone like PPC, I think you can get super creative. And like you said, run ads. Uh, marketing manager, just somebody that can kind of stand out. It won't 100% work all the time. I'll, I'll say that, but you're investing in yourself and you're willing to stand out in that regard. So I think that's super cool. Uh, before the top of the hour, you know, I just kind of curious to say, what do you think that as continue as remote hiring continues? And I don't think it's going to slow down. I, you might see an initial dip, but I think that remote hiring is here to stay. We talked about Upwork. We talked about all those different platforms, which we partner with. What what is the future hold for remote hiring? What do what do you think that looks like for the rest of this year going into twenty twenty two? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think innovation and this industry, and I'll explain why I say innovation. This industry is so behind. Recruitment is so, so behind. And I I even give the example of there's a company like a nine figure company that came to me a while back and they work with like Hayes and they and they're like, well, we usually work with these, you know, multi-million dollar recruitment age, like companies. And then I asked them, like, why are we having this conversation then if you have, you know, these huge companies that are doing recruitment for you? And the answer is they don't know how to hire remote staff. They don't know how to hire remotely internationally. A lot of recruitment companies have always hired in a particular city, in a particular country for a particular position, let's say for a developer. But if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need a, an operations manager uh, in Latin America with this experience and this background, a lot of those companies don't know what to do. They don't have that experience. They haven't really done this before. And I'm talking huge multi-million dollar companies with that, that lack the experience of, well, where do we get these candidates from? And so I really believe, especially in this coming year, in the next, you know, uh, six to 18 months, a big thing that's going to happen is the remote recruit, just the recruitment space in general is going to become more innovative. It's going to start pushing because they are now, it's not a point of if they can do something, it's they need to adapt or they will die because everyone's going remote, people are going international, people are gonna be starting to hire internationally more and more and more. And these companies have to become more innovative, more forward thinking, more adaptive, or they will fall off, fall behind and go bankrupt because obviously the needs of all over the world of employers are changing. And so that those are some of my thoughts regarding where, where we're going. <laughs> no, absolutely. And then I would also add on to that resources to support those international employees, right? If you're in an office setting, it's easy to say print off of our printers or whatever, like whatever you need in terms of that regards. But having policies in place from the get go, I would say that expectations, we talked about that before, expectations of when and if you want people to meet up in person, going to events, going to uh, networking opportunities, and then also continuing education. I would think making sure all these are at the forefront of how are we, at, even remotely going to support you to continue your own fostering of growth. We can't do it in person all the time, but we can support you in whatever aspects or avenues you deem, you know, reasonable uh, as an employee and employer a relationship. So I think like as that continues to innovate, I think you will see a lot more talent, the shift in like people onboarding and really start to see pe people and people, I mean, employers stand out in that regard. So that's fascinating. I'm, I'm excited to see what the future holds. It was kind of a, it was kind of a shock when people had to go home, use their laptops and figure out what do I need to do with the home office? Or do I have a home office opportunity or going to sit at the kitchen table? But now people are like, like myself built in my own office, or this is, you know, office life versus home life in what that regards. Is it, is it difficult? Have you seen people adjust difficult it has been a difficult transition you think that people have been 100 percent remote versus 
in person or for the most part, it's been pretty easy transition. I don't think it was an easy transition, but I think that now most people have transitioned. They are not going back. I mean, there are articles just about how I believe recently about how Apple and Google are trying to get people back into the office and people would rather give up their jobs, give up a really good salary. They would rather give all of that up than go back into the office because they've realized they don't have to waste hours and hours on commuting to work, spending all that time away from home. And it's giving up their balance of life. And they've learned that they can be more productive at home because all of a sudden they can choose different hours that they can work. They can take an hour and go to the gym. They have so much more possibility and so much more balance and more productivity. And once they've realized that, even though it was a hard transition, once they realized that, many people are not going back. They are not willing to go back. They would rather find a new job than do that. Yeah. Word of caution for all employers out there. Make sure that your your employees are happy with it and not forcing them to go back. It might have to be a job that is in person and a lot of us understand that. But if that's the case and you don't have to and you can do it effectively remotely, start thinking about that, how to put systems in place. So that's awesome. Hey, where can, uh, you know, where can people, not, not to shock everyone, hey, uh, everyone, wh where can people either learn about you, Anna, or connect with uh, Remotivate? Where can people, you know, connect in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to connect with me, uh, as well as what we do in getting extra help with rec remote recruitment is via our website, letsremotivate.com. Uh, I would say my LinkedIn is also a possibility, but trying to spell my name out <laughs> will be very difficult. Guys, it's there's lots of S's and H's in there. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There no, are quite it's, a few. It's, there are it's, quite a few. No, if you're watching this on LinkedIn, actually, we we tagged Dana, and uh, there yeah, that perfect. is completely. Uh, just click on her and connect with her. Follow her as well. Good content as always that you're posting out there. What's um uh, what's something you're you're working on personally moving into the the remainder of the year? Is it something that you're personally on for the company or uh, yourself or what, what, what's that one thing you're working on? Well, one of the things that we're working on, I guess this is more of like uh, things to come, so to speak, is we've done a lot of work for employers and clients, but something that I'm very passionate about and hope that we, and we're working on these projects and hopefully we'll be able to do more for the candidate side, helping more and more people learn how to work online, where to post, how to interact, what to do with an application. Like all of that is something I'm very passionate about uh, just because of my background and all of my stories. And so I really want to give more people information, access to that information and knowledge so they can start working online as well. So those are some of my to come goals. It's not tomorrow or in a week, but it's, you know, months down the line. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to working on those type of projects. You've approached your manager and you've set expectations, right? There you go. Exactly. 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 Bring it full circle. You've told yourself, this is my expectations for myself. So for you're, myself. you're very much. Yeah, exactly. You're all on the same page. Um, and also, I, I would be remiss to ask. With this kind of going on worldwide right now, as we're currently speaking, it's a uh, prime day with two days days of epic deals, June twenty first and twenty second. Uh, not sure if you're a big online shopper or uh, have bought anything yet. What, what's kind of your thoughts around prime day or any sort of like quote unquote holiday in the e commerce and the Amazon space? That's a good question because because I'm Ukrainian, because I'm mostly European, we don't really like. I guess is is Prime Day a thing in Europe or is it mostly U.S. based? So so it is it is happening in Europe right now. The only two locales that I think I know for sure Canada is not happening right now. There might be one or one or two other locations that's not happening just because of logistic reasons and yeah. uh, with COVID spikes. I think India was the other one that I recently heard that they pushed that. So. Otherwise, Amazon marketplaces all around the world are having Prime Day. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of this just, again, middle of the summer, arbitrary, fictitious holiday that a lot of people are like, oh, like the greeting card industry. <laughs> this is like the e-commerce industry. We're just making up things to sell products. Uh, no, just curious what your thoughts are. If, if, if you're a partake or because you're um, not really, not honestly, not, not really just because I, yeah, I mean, a lot of my American friends are partake. They're like prime day, prime day. And I'm like, huh, what? Like, I mean, I know like, it's like kind of like black Friday. I didn't really grow up with black Friday. So for me, it's like ah, black Friday, same thing with prime day. I'm like, I've heard of it. I know what it is, but I I'm not really partaking. <laughs> it's a thing. No, absolutely. And it's a good day for uh, sellers, but it, it kind of comes and goes with people buying certain things. Again, it's just a shot in the arm for for people to quote unquote get deals. That's my background is how do you, 
how do you get a good deal on products and where do you find those good deals? And is it on an actual day or is it not even a deal? So I was curious to get your take on that, but that being said, I'm super excited to have you on and um, just really excited to talk through things with remote hiring, obviously where people are growing and just a lot of great tips in terms of both on the employer side, just not to waste their time, money and effort and on the employee side that we got to take away from that. So I thought there was a lot that I took away from this personally. I have a ton of notes I've been taking down this whole time. <laughs> and so I hope everyone who's listening to this as well, you're, if you have a question, you reach out to Anna and her team over at Remotivate, you know, growing business and all focused on remote hiring as well. So gr- lots of great stuff today. Thanks so much for hopping on. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Yeah. Anna Sherbina of Remotivate. Look at that. See, I said it quickly and it worked. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. I didn't even not think about that, but thanks for hopping on Crossover Commerce. Uh, again, everyone, if you're watching this uh, live or if you're re-watching this on our platforms on our website, thanks for tuning in to Crossover Commerce. This was episode 120. We are talking about hiring and the wrong hiring the wrong employee can be expensive. And obviously we deep dived into so many different topics about hiring remote employees as an employer and employee such great stuff for Mana and her uh, team. Go ahead and check them out. Again, all the links are going to be in the show notes below. If you have questions, go ahead and reach out to her on LinkedIn, or you can just put it in the comment section. We'll make sure we get you in touch with her and her team. I'm Ryan Kramer. This is Crossover Commerce. Make sure you stay tuned and follow us on social media on both Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter. That's where we go live on our shows, but also where we we announce upcoming episodes. We're going to have some great episodes coming up tomorrow. Uh, two for one with Casey Goss, Jeff Cohen of Seller Labs and Thrasio and Seller Labs respectively and myself. We're going to be deep diving into some of the uh, things that they found in terms of their product listings. And we're going to be sharing some of those insights that they found as well. And then on Thursday, we're going to be talking with James McConnell Jr. about inventory limits. So we're going to be talking about the sourcing logistics kind of nightmare that every uh, Amazon seller is kind of going through right now and where to navigate the field. So That being said, go ahead and stay tuned when we come live on uh, Crossover Commerce. But thanks for tuning in to episode 120 today. Take care.